Welcome to Results May Vary. This is a podcast to help you design your life. Tracy and I have worked in the field of design and innovation for over 17 years between us. We've helped sustain a food revolution for Jamie Oliver, redesign the way LA County votes. We've even engaged the world's most creative minds in science by turning their genes into music at the TED conference. Throughout our careers, we've always wondered, what if we took this same creative problem-solving process we've used to help these organizations solve their challenges, but applied it directly to people's lives? Would it work? Would anyone listen to us? And maybe even scarier, what would happen if they did? Results May Vary is a thoughtful experiment designed by Tracy and I to see just what happens when you set out to intentionally design your life. Welcome back to the second episode of Results May Vary. In our first episode, Chris and I explored a few of the basic tools of design thinking and talked about how we've used them in our own lives. Today, we want to introduce you to one of the most influential people on the planet when it comes to design, innovation, and creativity. David Kelly is the founder of IDEO, one of the world's leading innovation and design firms, a company both Chris and I have had the good fortune of working at. As well, he's the creator of the Hasso Plattner Institute of Design at Stanford, otherwise known as the D-School. David has spent decades helping students, employees, and organizations apply a design thinking methodology to everything from the first Apple mouse to a completely redesigned school lunch experience. Most recently, he wrote a book with his brother Tom called Creative Confidence, to support their larger mission of unleashing the creativity that lies within each and every one of us. We thought, if there was one person most qualified to give advice on how you can design your life, it would be David. What design thinking has done very well is think about large population and how do we design something for a large population that does hopefully something great for them right makes right, it sure. better something extraordinary something that's meaningful to that group right, right. and i thought it was interesting this morning you start to narrow how many people you're designing for right ultimately down to the individual sure and i think the question is um the question that we're after is uh if if that's possible if that's a good idea you know if uh if design thinking um, applies there? First, you have to um, understand that, you know, design thinking is like my religion. So I think it applies to everything. And yeah. I, w- I would entrust me but after making that, you know, disclosure. Um, no, I really think that um, design thinking is a way of trying to uncover what's meaningful for people, right? I mean, are, you know, if you, you, you can't talk to us 15 seconds about design thinking before we start talking about empathy for, for people. And you can, you can be as altruistic in that, what we mean is up. Sometimes we mean commercially we're trying to find a big market or we're trying to please a market that's well healed so they can afford to buy. Or, I mean, you, you, that's the top of the kind of um, business application of design thinking. But I, of course, think it, all, it goes all the way down to the individual who's um, 
who's looking at how to, you know, have a more enjoyable life or or someone who's trying to have self-efficacy. You know, I mean, um, you know, Bandura, the, our big psychologist in this term self-efficacy has really enchanted me, um, especially since I discovered it after we, after we started talking about creative confidence, funny thing. But, um, you know, if you can get to the point of um, where you um, have a sense of kind of what the world's about and that you can accomplish what you set out to do, somewhere, to me, happiness is somewhere in there. It's not in the I'm singing zippity doodads, dancing around all the time, eating you know, ice cream. I mean, so, so if you take that kind of direction, then then I do believe that design thinking and you know prototyping and and empathy and collaborating with others leads directly to self-efficacy or creative confidence. So that's what gives me the belief that design thinking. Um, is beneficial to the individual is that I totally believe that it leads to um, com- creative confidence. Right, right. For yourself, right. Have you done that either consciously or subconsciously? Do you have you applied the tools of design thinking against your own life? Yeah, um, absolutely. Um, I mean, it's hard because you know, as an old man, you're breaking a lot of habits t- to get to a new place. You have to break habits. I mean, one of the things about design thinking is it's this open-minded, discovering non-obvious things. I mean, the thing that makes it so great commercially is that we discover, you know, kind of non-obvious needs. And once you have a non-obvious need, you're only one step away from a successful, you know, uh, product direction or, pre- or point of view. And so, um, so uh, you know, I really think that you that you are uh, doing that. So, um, but you know, you're, but you have to break habits as an individual. That's the thing: is that can your understanding, can whatever techniques you use in design thinking, can, is that is it possible that those will break your existing habits? So, because is the way we practice it. It's not as cerebral as some people might think, but it is pretty cerebral, like what are the steps and how do you go about it? The, it happens that our first step is complete immersion, which is not cerebral. That's like jumping right in. But that's like saying, you know, uh, you, you know, you can be rich, just get a million dollars, or you can exercise, just go over there and run on that treadmill, right? I mean, it, it's, it's like there's no snappy answer here, right? Mm-hmm. So... Um, so, uh, so I believe that um, that the um, the main tenets of design thinking around uh, you know a bias towards action and experimentation can lead there because I think what what I've seen in my own life we were that's what we were really talking about mm-hmm. um, is that when I experiment every once in a while. Um, I discover something that resonates with me, and then I'll then I'll continue to put that in my life, right? So um, I don't like exercising very much, but you know, uh, I play touch football with my friends in the park, and and I knock myself out, and I could do that for hour after hour. So I, I discover through through tr- through trying many different approaches to exercise, I find that. I'm the kind of guy who has to play a team sport. I'm not an individual person, so uh, I better 
I mean, I, I'm, I've been known to be the ringleader of several things, and so I can start the, I can start my football league. I can start my, you know, um, <clears throat> you know, morning walk with friends. I mean, like I can use my skills to to do that. But until I got that, until I had that epiphany that I'm an I'm not an individual exerciser, right? And I don't know that I would get in there if I hadn't had this kind of, you know, mind mapping. Um, you know, uh, experimentation. You know, start a little something overseas here and and of low of low uh, importance, and just try ten things of low importance and see if if one of those doesn't jump to importance, right? Where I think the um, most of the people that I know who are trying are um, are trying for something really important. Mm. They they makes one thing really important, and then if it fails. It's a problem. We're not like that. Design thinkers are not like that at all. We're 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 we don't own, we don't have any allegiance to any idea until it becomes emotionally ours, right? Mm-hmm. And so lots of ideas rather than an individual planned approach seems to be the best thing about design thinking for for personal life change, right? Yeah. Right. So, um, what, who we're hoping our audience is are people that don't have a background in design thinking at all. Right. And so, um, what we've noticed is that when we talk to people about it who don't know IDEO or Stanford right. or whatever, um, it, it does seem very cerebral. So, could you explain to the audience sort of what design thinking means on a very basic level? Yeah, I'd be glad to do that. On some level, I think that you just want to stay away from the word design thinking in this yeah. particular realm. You want to stay with empathy and happiness and, you know, emotional feelings and, you know, and, uh, you know, what's blocking your creativity and stuff like that. And so, um, the nice thing about it is, and I've tried to do that a few times, the nice thing about that is once you've won somebody over, then there's this huge depth of kind of literature and design thinking. The best thing that can happen is if you don't bring up the word design thinking and you get people going in this kind of guided mastery where they have a little bit of success and then they have the energy to 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 get through the design thinking literature and the design thinking hurdle or whatever it is to do that. And so um, if you can get them going in the right direction, then... Um, then I think that is that the design thinking thing is is uh, is a backup that will just keep them going. It was the way for me with the research of Bandura. I brought him up already. Whereas I'm doing my thing, and then I discover Bandura, and now there's this scientist who's saying what sounds like the same thing to me, and now I can go deeper into something I already care about. I wouldn't been totally unable to read uh, Bandura's papers before knowing, uh, you know, the kind of connection to the stuff that I'm passionate about. So, um, so I think that the, that the tenets of design thinking that you, you can, I mean, I don't know, you can present it as design thinking and, and just, but just do a great job of making it endearing, uh, and then they'll ignore the design thinking words probably. Um, uh, they cert- the words have certainly worked for us in business and in school, right? Because it was the words design thinking moving away from design that actually cracked the code to design being a way of thinking rather than design being just something you do with your hands. So, so I'm endeared to that. But anyways, I think the tenets of design thinking that, that play, you know, uh, regardless of what you call them, are, are really... Uh, um, this notion of um, of uh, a bias towards action, you know, I mean, I think 
so many people plan you know they draw out their stuff they're going to do when they talk to other people and this planning thing is is wrong-headed it's you know it's even if you're doing it with other people which a lot of times they're not they're doing it by themselves and they're making a list and they're on a plane ride home and they're writing all the things they're going to change about their life and I, by the way, I did that when I got cancer. I was making all kinds of deals with God, what I was going to do, what changed my life. And you just don't do it. I mean, I, I mean, like, if you, put, <laughs> if, you, if, if you, and that's what the psychologists were saying, the psychologists were telling me. But they, they did say that if you put kind of one stake in the ground and told all your friends you were going to do that, you would do one thing. But you weren't going to be a different person, right. even faced with a terminal disease. That's right. how strong our our um, our habits are so the only chance you have of changing those habits is um, to get something that resonates that feels good that you know that you know that that you get encouragement from your friends that you know what I mean um, and so uh, so I think the the the, the main t- uh, and that's unlikely to happen sitting around making lists or planning. It's just right. that cathartic moment, that extraordinary feeling that makes you, you know, do something different um, isn't going to happen planning. So the main tenet of design thinking is this uh, bias towards action where if you're interested in something or something, you know, like just have the guts to lower your fear of being judged and just jump right in mm-hmm. whether it's singing karaoke yeah. or whether it's um you know um joining the sierra club and going for a hike right. or i mean you just have to get over that line and i don't know so now we're to the now we're to the point of an i don't know how to do the motivational part of that i mean now we're to like tony robbins how do you <laughs> exactly, you know how do yeah. you jump into it but um uh we, I don't know whether the way we tell the story or what, or because we have a captive audience or people are paying money or I don't know what it is, but we have a huge track record of being able to convince people to jump in. And then they provide the energy after that. Because once you're out there among school kids, once you're, I mean, you're when you're, you know, watching kids have lunch, I mean, the energy, if you're trying to redesign lunch, the energy is just overwhelming. And you as a human, build that empathy. Um, it's so fun to watch engineers in particular because, you know, that's mostly what I used to teach exclusively. And, and, you know, they're not known for their extroversion. And so to get them out and actually meet people and have those people um, show interest in their ideas, it just, it's more overwhelming for them than it is for a gregarious salesperson who's used to talking to people and having them react. So, so, um, so I really think that the, that design thinking, the main tenet is this um, lowering that that uh, fear of being judged somehow and just jumping in. And then it, it kind of it picks up momentum, snowballs. Uh, we're holding their hands in the case of students and in the case of clients uh, at IDEO, but, um, but it does snowball pretty easily. It's not as hard as I had envisioned when I first started the D school. If you get them, if you get them out there, yeah, yeah, it, yeah, it makes me wonder. I think what's um, what's been irritating me and Tracy when it comes up is if it starts to feel like life coaching right. and you know self-help. really like self helpy. And one of the things, one of the ways around that that I think is in line with design thinking is design thinking naturally has this optimism bias. Yes, yes. And so one of the things I've been thinking about is. Well, let's not apply it to what people already self-identify as their problems, right. but rather 
the things they always wanted to try or just like look to these and it might be that some of those problems are resolved through that and it's less about well, let's take a problem and apply these new tools against your problem. Yeah, no, I mean, it's really clear that you have to go somewhere. The stuff you've been thinking about and making lists about for the last 10 years is so cliched and so um, worked over in your brain right. that it won't, it won't create the spark. Yeah. Um, one of the reasons that I like mind mapping so much is mind mapping forces you to keep going further than your brain has been before by asking yourself why. You know, I would like to to exercise. Why? You know, that is a, why. Mm -hmm. And pretty soon you're out there and you you're have you're having to actually root cause. Right. Why am I? Why am I torturing myself with this wish? You know, and because what's in it for me, you know, kind of really, yeah. right? I mean, at the at the umbrella kind of level. Yes. And and so um so I really think that design thinking has that to offer, over over self help. Mm -hmm. If you can really get uh, people to to um, get at the, the what's really meaningful to them, but you have to push, and they have to push themselves up. This is all self. You know, I mean, we can't. We don't do anything other than. Well, I think, as I was saying before, what I think we do is help take away the blocks. Yes. We don't add creativity. I mean, that is a misnomer. We don't teach creativity. We don't. We don't make people any more creative than they always were. But as you remove those blocks, right? Mm -hmm. and you see it all the time, and you know their eyes sparkle and they get real excited when they have, you know, like. You know, jumped off that bridge in the bungee cord equivalent, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, they always wanted to, mm -hmm. you know. And uh, and and once they do that, it's a, you know I I told the story before, but I remember very well my young daughter who was afraid of the um, of the uh, the slide at the park because it was way too tall. It was way too tall. I mean, I'm not <laughs> sure I was going to climb up there. Anyways, it was way too tall. And you know, so she saw the other kids do it, and it was always you know. We got to the bottom step a few times. I mean, she's two, right? I mean, got to the bottom step a couple times. And then, you know, through things of just, you know, f I think so being there so many times and seeing other kids do it, there's something about, you know, like, you know, you start to self-identify, like, I could do that. That, that. You know, that girl did it, right? I could do it. And then the first time she did it, and then... You know, after she did it once, then, you know, it was dark and we, I'm cold and want to go home and she's still going on, <laughs> you know, on, the, on the slide because it's, it's that way about everything, yeah. right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. we yeah. all have that, you know, the metaphor, that slide, we got that, right? Yeah. And it's, yeah. it's hard and you got to muster something to get to the top of it. And that's right. why um, the, the emer so my problem is the immersion in design thinking if I can get somebody to have an immersive experience here or at IDEO something, we got them. I mean, nine times out of ten, we got them. But the problem is, we're only we're not hitting that many people, right? I mean, in the scope of the world, right? right. So in the attempt to write the book, we're saying, can you write a book? I'm not sure that reading a book is going to do this, right? Because I know an immersive experience works, but I don't know that reading a book has a lot of impact. We'll see. But um, anyway, so this, um, this uh, thing I'm most excited about, of course, is this thing where we actually... Um, hold people's hand and get them over that fear of snakes or karaoke or whatever it is, yeah, and yeah. then then they really go. Yeah, and it's just like when a kid and a kid in grade school and the and and uh, is the pet of the piano teacher, and the piano teacher shows a lot of interest and and uh, encourage him. That person's going to play the piano probably for life. Right, right. Whereas the kid who somebody says to him, "That sounds terrible." Right. 
Right. It's probably not going to stake with lessons for more than a couple of months exactly. just out of duty, right? I'm so, curious, yeah. um, when you were talking about when you were going through your cancer and you said that you kind of made all of these uh, agreements with God and, and lists of things you're going to change about yourself, mm -hmm. what were some of those things and, and how did you approach it in that moment? Well, I can't even remember, but they were the old, they were all the ones I was going to, you know, I don't know, spend more time on my classes or, I mean, cliche and stuff, you know, spend more time with my daughter, be nicer to my mother, I don't know, I mean, whatever it is, but, but <laughs> it didn't, but, um, but uh, I had this uh, psychologist, or psychiatrist, uh, his name is Bart Taylor, and he, Stanford guy, and he uh, did something that I thought was really interesting, which helped me a lot, which was this notion of um, keeping track of what's fun. He, you know, like, I was all about how am I going to seriously be a better human in the kind of a moral sense? That's what the, that's why I said God, you know, it's in, it's in a moral sense. And he was more down the path of, you know, you need to self-gratify. Everybody around you is going to be happier if you just self-gratify, right? And you, and I'm not, that's not me naturally. Um, I'm naturally trying to make sure everybody else is happy, right? I mean, that makes you, that helps with leadership, but it, but it doesn't help with having a good time. Anyway, so, um, he did this thing with me, which is really interesting, which was, you know, you have your calendar and you have everything that's on your calendar that you've d done that day. And at the end of the day, he wants you to rate it zero to 10, well, what day it was. And then, um, he's a scientist, right? So, and then you have this data, you can go back and say, look, this day was a seven, this day was a six, this day was a five, and you can see what was on that day. And if you pattern recognize, you can see what kind of things on your day drive your number up and down. That's really info that's really useful information because through the whole thing, I do think that this self gratifying is the answer to the fun looking for um what's fun. A lot of people I think would disagree with me, but I really think that um you know, trying to figure out what's fun to you. Right? Because there's a lot of stuff that looks like fun that doesn't feel like fun to people. They're doing it because it's looks like fun. It's told to them that it's fun, right? It's like, you know, Traveling to Europe is fun, or going to Disneyland. Where it's actually, if you actually look at the the statistics, or you look at the stuff on Disneyland, people are not having that much fun. You know, they're they're going to remember it fondly later, but they're not enjoying it at the moment. It's hot lines, you know, stuff. So anyway, so that's you're trying to find those things that are just you know just fun to you. And it's really, it's really an exciting notion if you can. But it's not for everybody to have that kind of, you know, I'm an engineer, so like having the numbers and stuff is good, but, it's, but there, there's got to be other ways to do it that you are mindful of. When you look at your, when you're looking for happiness or fun as the, as the, um, as the goal, then I think it's different. You have a different bias than I'm going to be a better person. I'm so glad you told that story. I was going to, I remembered it yeah, and yeah. I was going to ask you if yeah. you'd share it. So yeah, yeah. I'm so glad you did. Yeah. Is, is that, um, has that stayed with you? Do you still kind of, yeah, yeah work I still that remember in? those things. I do, I still do some of the things that, that drive the number down and I still do some of the, numbers, the things that drive the number but up, but I'm mindful. And when I see a thing coming that drives the number up, I think it actually is more likely to drive the number up because 
I, I pre-expect, I mean, I'm, you know, there's probably a term for that, but I, I'm biased towards noticing, I'm mindful mm -hmm. that I'm just about to do something that, that, that I know is fun to me, and so I enjoy it, I it. more. Um, it's a little look, look about, it's a little bit like mindfulness training, where, um, where you know, um, being present. So that's something I've spent some time doing, and, and, um, and so no, I can. I'm sitting here with you guys, and I can practice being present here and not worry about my to-do list or who's outside that door waiting to talk to me or you know the emails I haven't answered or yeah. whatever. Yeah, uh, that's still going to be there. But if I can push it to the back and be present, yeah. um, that I learned that in my cancer time, did, that did mindfulness, that 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 was going to make for a more pleasurable life rather than everything's a task before. Before that, I really saw everything, even the fun things, as tasks, and now I sort I sort them a little more into tasks and and you know moments. Did, did your inner engineer really resist that? I mean, I think a lot of people hearing this would think, "Oh, here we go again on the Northern California mindfulness thing." <laughs> yeah, exactly. But did, did you did you embrace that, or was it? Uh, did your inner engineer resist it? <clears throat> no. Uh, well, I think my my nervous ADD resisted it more than my engineer. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, when you, <laughs> the, there are good engineers who don't have, who, who, you know, who don't have this, and I'm one of the ones who's like a nervous, uh, you know, worrier type, and so it's, the, it's there all the time. One of the things we've been thinking about is, you know, what, what are the best learnings from design thinking that could be applied to individuals? What should be maybe left or enhance and what could be new. And as you're talking, one of the things I'm thinking is design thinking is typically best done as a team. You know, you take yes. multi-disciplines yes. together and you're going to get a better well, result. Well, uh, you know, the kind of radical collaboration part of it is where we expect to come up with a lot of the ideas. Right. So as the individual, I, I do wonder if that's an opportunity as to individual pursuits tend to be just that, this sort of, I think, alone, I work on it alone, right. et cetera. But the idea of putting a team together... For that, um, you yeah, know, I have done that where, um, for, uh, which is to have my personal advisory group, mm -hmm. you know, and 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 they can put me on their personal advisory group. But um, uh, other than mind mapping, I brought that up a couple of times. Mind mapping is an inherently individual uh, sport, uh, and um, and I think it has real benefit in pulling that the stuff out from the individual. Almost everything else is a team sport that I know of. All of our of our techniques, and so. You you have to figure out who's on your team, right? Um, and and at work it's pretty straightforward. But who's on your personal team, right? Mm -hmm. And so again, you have to break down that you have to break down that fear of either asking the favor or. And what you find, of course, is that your real friends want to be on your personal advisory team, right? And 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 if they see it successful, then they want you on their personal advisory team. And yeah. you think about it, it's like. I mean, you know, like I, I hardly ever go to um, to a meeting where I'm just taking my own thoughts with me because I've been with my friends or my advisory team and talked about what we're going to talk about in this meeting, and um, and so I'm bringing a, a synthesis because I really think that people who are who are predisposed to use design thinking are more synthesizers. You know, it seems like we're idea generators, but I think we're actually design. 
idea synthesizers of lots of different. That's what that's what you were just talking about. So the the diversity of the people and the teamness is the is the place where um, the the breakthrough ideas come from, not from you sitting in a room by yourself. So it seems like how do you blow that out so that every time your idea generating, even about your own psychology, um, it's a team sport. I think is a is a lesson from design thinking because we, you know, if if uh, at idea or if the D school, if somebody gave us a hard problem, we wouldn't go to our office and think about it. Right. You know, right. we'd be finding the best people we could find and and getting them on our team and going somewhere together. Exactly. You know, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it's, that should apply to you individually. Yeah. So um, of of anyone, you've probably talked about design thinking, explained design thinking so many times. Work every time I explain it, it tends to be a little bit of a mouthful. It's, yeah, it's, it's, I know. It's hard to just sort of roll it out. And I'm right. curious, how do you quickly describe design thinking to somebody that's never heard of it before? Um, I, I I just say it's a it's a tool, it's a methodology for uh, routinely coming up with ideas. And then when they say, well, what are the tools or methodology? What does that mean? Well, then I just do what we just, I tell the story as, as abbreviated as we just did in the last 15 minutes, right? I mean, it's just those, the empathy and the experimentation and the teamness of it and the diversity of it, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's not a, I mean, in some ways, if it was, if it was, um, you know, if it, if it was a snappy answer, it'd be more like a cookbook. This is not a cookbook, and you shouldn't think of it that way, right? right, right. It's a, you know, we say it's a tool or it's a mindset. You know, yeah. describe, you know, describe anything that's complex, emotionally complex, you know, very quickly. And mm. but, you know, I think if you get people generally down the path that it's a, a way to come up, it's a way to routinely come up with. Unique ideas, important ideas, important to you ideas, individually or to your thing. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, it's a routine innovation methodology. You know, mm-hmm. uh, those are all yeah. terrible words. You know, they, yeah. they, don't, they don't add up to, to friendly yeah. banter. I mean, one of the I, we keep talking about, you know, who who are the people that we're thinking about when we're thinking about in, instructing them on what this means, and I keep going back to my mom who lives in a suburb in Ohio and I, mine too yeah and so I, I wonder <laughs> she still doesn't know what we do and I, I don't think my dad fully gets it either yeah <laughs> yeah and so I think like when you go back to Barberton how yeah. do you talk about it do people understand what you're about out here um no yeah. um, you know I mean I full honesty I don't try yeah why is um, that um it's just uh, my part of the world. It's just so economically depressed that um, I sound like an arrogant son of a bitch from right. from uh, California because I speak of opportunity that doesn't exist for them, right? And so um, it's more like I can work on the psychology of them having a good time today, and that's the best I can do. Um, it's just it's just not I mean I let me put it this way um, there are people who are working on making those places in the country vital again right and they're working on, on a different level of Maslow's things they're talking about food and water right. you know and so I don't want to be arrogant and talk about this this esoteric Stanford 
psychology stuff when when they need more basic um, self help yeah. stuff. So that's I don't interesting. Feel we were just we just hosted a session this weekend with some folks. Um, just a first experiment and how they could start designing their life and and that came up and you know part of me thinks well we do a lot of work with like uh, low socioeconomic backgrounds and so how do we and I think design thinking is so powerful um, and it is a tool in those areas but how yeah. do you bridge but that, was that? Talk, but you're talking about what you were talking about there low economic areas when you're talking about uh, like an engagement with a, a school or a, you know, I was talking about the individual, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. So I go home to a bunch of individuals. If I went back to the boys club or the, the Ohio Brass Company or what, I mean, then I thought it applies directly because yeah. there's a central purpose of the thing. It's not self-help. It's really, you know, you know, um, jump-starting the economic engine a second and then I'm all over that in any part of the country especially in those parts of the country the other thing is kids you asked me basically about adults about that question in, in that kind of part of the world but kids is I feel the opposite about right I mean the, the our positive bias plays very well with kids and inspires them and and hopefully gets them passionate about doing you know what they were put on earth to do mm -hmm. uh, in that way so it's only this you know I'm, I just think about the adults who are whose habits are so strong mm -hmm. that that they're really hard to change I mean I'm a, I, I, as I say it I mean it would, it would be nice to, to, to spend time you know really um, doing that that I just don't feel as well equipped to do that as I would um, finding a group of them a church group or a, now I'm all energized you know to yeah. to help them you know have self-efficacy but individually I don't know how to help people um, who you know who who need those basic enthusiasm for life you know yeah love to get your just kind of gut reaction to the project and the pursuit if the, if the far side is like you guys are definitely barking up the wrong tree right. to run at that you know that's well, an amazing application what, what's your what's your reaction well um you know I'm, I'm I only I'm an engineer right I look at data I mean we have a course here called you know designing your life and it's I, I don't know that much about it. I just know it's super oversubscribed and everybody seems to talk about it and there's magazine articles being written about it and 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 this is and we're doing it from a very inside a Stanford very you know our our age group is very narrow and so that leaves you guys the rest of the world right as far as Thank you. So, <laughs> no, but I just I just think that our so and I believe in you know this experiment. I think we've started a little brush fire at Stanford about this, and it looks like it's taken on and it's important. So you you know my advice to you guys was carve out the piece that you're particularly interested in, right? You know, don't pick you know uh, 18 to 22 year old people who live in Palo Alto, and you know you you know you're you're in a, a little shack down the street. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, no. So I know I think for everything I've seen, um, but again, I'll go back to the first thing I said. It's yeah. my religion, so I, I can't see past the fact. I can't see past the the gleaming eyes of the kids who are in my office crying because it feels so good inside their bodies 
to to be a creative person when they never felt that in their life and they're you know 20 years old and they always thought of themselves as not creative and now they've been through a bunch of d school things or design things and all of a sudden they're walking around saying i'm a creative person look at this look what i did look at this look what look what my team did look what i did look what you know Right. Yeah, I think that you you definitely have indoctrinated a lot of people into the world of design thinking, which is amazing because it does it opens up opportunities for yeah for people I, that they've never thought possible for themselves. I mean, it's my tool, it's my mindset, but I really do think of it as present and future tools are also in the tool belt, right? I mean, um, things that psychiatrists do or things that you know that um, you know that coaches do things that um, you know just people who are turned on by a subject and want that are want that subject all those are are other tools that are in the tool belt right. just this is the one that I, that I'm gonna work on right right right, right. Yeah. yeah that makes there must sense. be more tools right I mean it's like Absolutely. we're not the only planet right. in the solar system yeah. I'm sure right exactly. well I've been saying that I think um, design thinking to me is as important as the scientific method yeah which is the scientific method helps you make sense of the world around right. you and design thinking helps you to influence it or change it right and so the, the scientific method is adopted as as um, like fact mm-hmm. right and design thinking still new and not exactly. nobody's sure so it'd be nice if this design thinking becomes more like a a accepted path to creativity we'll see i mean it seems like it's, it's moving in the right direction yeah yeah we're all working on it mm-hmm. cool Great. all right well Thanks thank you so much, so much david time. appreciate it this was it's been fantastic. amazing as usual inspired So he said it right from the beginning, this is his religion, and boy, was that true, but uh, very inspiring. Yeah, I mean, he's he's sort of one of the original founders of design thinking, and I think it's really important to kick off our show with his voice, just sort of talking about what he's been through throughout his decades-long career. Absolutely, absolutely. And I was uh, inspired and intrigued um, to learn that he had applied design thinking to himself and uh, and was also inspired by the class being so popular at Stanford and hearing a little bit more about that. Yeah, I mean, I don't know that you can be a practitioner of design thinking and not have it seep into your life. Right. I think because it changes the way that you approach challenges in the world. And if you're doing that in business, it just makes sense that you would then start doing it at home. Yeah, and then his way to articulate just what design thinking is, making it, it's ultimately, he's very, it's very simple. It's about great ideas and a bias towards action and experimentation, and that's exactly what we're trying to do. I feel like people go to solution really quickly. I know that I do that a lot, and design thinking is more a process about allowing yourself to be open-minded and hold a lot of different options in your head until you've tried them to see what works and what doesn't rather than saying oh you know what i'm overweight i'm gonna go on a diet and only eat cabbage <laughs> probably not gonna work very you, well have you tried that? no i've <laughs> never tried that one i've tried a ton of other ones um <laughs> yeah you're pretty you're 
You're pretty fat. <laughs> <laughs> I had, uh, we both had a laugh over the serious process that David went through around making deals with God, feeling like he'll bargain for his life back, and then, and then you asked him, <laughs> do you remember what they were? And he's like, no, no. I can't remember. <laughs> I thought that was really interesting. And it kind of plays to your planning thing around the significance, and yeah. when I'm free, I'll, I'll put it all back together, and he's like, exactly how I'm going to do it. Exactly. And then you get you get it back and you just sort of all that stuff. Go on out. your way. Yeah, like. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I also think what was interesting about that story was that he is not a perfect practitioner of this craft that he sort of helped to create. Right. He's, he falls off the wagon. He doesn't follow through with plans just like everybody else does. Right. And that really, I think, is inspiring because it's... It's human. It makes it very real. And it makes the whole thing so much more believable. These habits take decades to form, and we all can run into those patterns. It's just how the record plays. I think the world has trained so many people to think that that's about more discipline mm-hmm. or it's a, a shortcoming, harder effort, and you'll finally be able to do it. And I think we run into that, that treadmill all the time. And David's like, hey, did I have a good time today or not? You know? Yeah. Um, that sort of one to ten, how fun was today, and the things that are the most fun you attach to. I was interested and surprised to hear him talk so strongly about mind mapping. Yeah. I haven't used that in my business practices of mm-hmm. design thinking in the past very often, um, but I definitely see its value. I wonder, I mean, as a tool, that seems like a really easy entry point for somebody. I agree. And I, the, the thing I liked about what he was saying about it is, like, it forces the edge mm-hmm. because you're going to keep going. So it's just, how can I um, do more with friends with less time? It's like, I can quickly rattle off the first five, but if you tell me to do 50 yeah. or keep going for 10 minutes, I'm going to unpack something that's pretty interesting. I think anyone would. Yeah, that's interesting. It reminded me when I was in grad school for advertising our teacher assigned us to do 100 ads about Tylenol (laughs) (laughs) and just the idea that like you'll do 100 and maybe two will be good but you'll have cleared out your brain by the time you finished I also wonder I mean mind mapping with you know he was talking about having a team of advisors Um, mind mapping those 10 things that you are you know you're going to come up with and then sort of passing it off to somebody else to fill in the next level of bubbles. One or other things, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, because I'm sure that they would come up with stuff you'd never think of and yeah. then pass it back to you and you have to go even further. Right, that's right. So do you, what do you think the takeaway is for our audience? I wonder if it's about doing those, like picking the 10 things that are low bar. I think what's really important is the idea of immersion. Mm-hmm. And so that's where I think the 10 things ties into that. It's like, what are 10 low bar experiences that you can have in the next week or two? Could be even more open-ended than that, which is like, I just want to be more playful. How are you more playful? It's like, I just kind of want to laugh more. And I think it'd be interesting to work through your day. And instead of like being like, I will laugh more the way I will laugh more is I will go to 10 comedy shows. You know? Right. It's like, no, actually, I'm just going to stumble through life as it is and seek a few random opportunities to laugh more. Seems like just enough of a kind of framework to go to go about things. I don't know. It's worth testing. 
I like the idea of stumbling through the day to find these opportunities, the serendipitousness of it all, like not planning ahead. I, but you still have the intention of, so there's a rooted intention. You know, yeah. It's like, okay, this is one thing I want to try. Yeah. You know? And let me see where it might show up, right? Or I, if I can create it, but it's more spontaneous. It's like, there's Tracy. Let's laugh. You know? Right. No, that is always She's awkward. Fun. Don't. No, nobody do that. <laughs> that didn't work. That's a, my first attempt experiment is bomb. But see, but, but it's such a... Very, like, you never know. <laughs> that one didn't do anything for me at all. But it was such a low uh, importance experiment. Right, I'm that... over it already. Let's move on. I'm still dwelling on it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening. Our dream is to build a community of people who can create and take advantage of any opportunity that interests them. To do this really well, your participation is key. So if you want to try out and share back your own life design experiments, or if you've already got a great story of how you've designed your life, we'd love to hear from you on our Facebook page or at resultsmayvarypodcast.com. Our website is also where you'll find show notes and links to all the things we mentioned in the podcast. And if you would be so kind, subscribe to the show and rate us and write a review on iTunes or Stitcher. That'll let even more people start designing their lives. A big thanks to David Kelly for sharing his results with us today. And as always, special thanks to composer and filmmaker H.P. Mendoza for the Results May Vary theme music and graphic designer Anessa Bramer for our logo. And of course, thank you so much for listening to Results May Vary!